Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Welcome to week two of our message series called Family Feuds. Um, I love this series. I'm very excited about this series. And, you know, last week I shared how on my side of the family, you know, that there's, you know, simply a lot of addictive behavior. Um, and that's just part of the generational sin that's on my side of the family, which is part of, like I said last week, part of the reason why I don't drink alcohol at all because I know that, you know, there's just this, this thing inside me that, like, when I do something, like, like, I jump in with both feet. Um, and so, and now, I'm not saying that, let me be clear, I'm not saying that drinking is a sin, okay? It's not. Now, the Bible's clear that getting drunk is a sin, but just social drinking is not a sin. But again, that's why I have chosen not to drink at all, because I know that because of the generational sin in my family and that tendency, that if I ever started, I might not be able to stop. And so I just, I just stay away from it entirely. So anyway, so a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I was in the car with the kids, Ben and Libby, and we were talking about this series, that kind of thing, and um, I was sharing with them how that on my side of the family, that there's a lot of addictive behavior. And, and I was giving them examples of how that was true. Now, I'm not going to share any of those examples here because I don't want to dishonor any member of, of my family, some of whom are no longer alive, many of whom have broken that cycle of addiction in their family. But I was talking about it with the kids because I wanted them to understand what is in our family so that they could know what they're up against because these things are spiritually driven as much as anything. And so I wanted them to understand it so that they could be prepared to deal with it because it's, it's a part of our family. I mean, it, it, it just is. And so we were talking about that. And then my kid said something to me <clears throat> that I've never heard before. And I was, I was so proud of them because their response was so mature and so responsible. Here's what they said. They said, Dad, the fact that you and Mom don't drink makes it so much easier for us not to drink. And they said, not that we would, okay, but the fact that you and Mom don't drink alcohol at all makes it easier for us because we Get this, we already know that our personalities are prone to addiction, just kind of like yours are, because just like you, when we do something, like we go all in, like we're in it with both feet. And so we already know that that could be something that we're prone to. So the fact that you and mom don't drink at all makes it easier for us. I'm telling you, I almost pulled the car over, jumped out, like did a happy dance, like right there. I mean, I, I was so pumped. I was like, because here's the deal. At, at 14 and 15 years old, for them just to have the awareness that they already have personalities 
that could lead them down a, a difficult and bad road, just that awareness will help them so much in life to be able to follow Jesus with all their heart and not become so entangled by sin that has brought so many in our family to the ground. Gosh, I'm telling you, I was so incredibly, pr- incredibly proud of them uh, for what they've done. Um, because what could have easily been a source of embarrassment or shame has now become a source of strength and victory in our family. And you know what? God can do the same in any of our families. He can do the same. God can take the things that could, have be, could be a source of embarrassment and shame, and he can turn them into sources of victory and strength. God can take the stories in our family that are filled with hurt, and he can turn them into stories of triumph if we will deal with it. But here's the thing. If we don't take generational sin seriously, if we just you know, chalk it up to genetic disposition or environmental conditioning or sociological patterns, and we don't understand that there are spiritual forces driving these things from behind, I'm telling you, these cycles that are present in our family lines will repeat themselves over and over and over again from generation to generation. And we just simply won't be able to, to understand why that's happening. It'll be like, good heavens, I just don't understand it. But, it's, it, but it, yet, it's still true. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that every sin that you and I commit is a generational sin. And I'm not saying that every sin becomes a generational sin. And by, and by generational sin, I'm talking about a sin pattern that's repeated from generation to generation to generation and so on, okay? Um, examples, and, and, well, and, that, and that's why some families fall victim to that same sin over and over and over again. It's present in their family and maybe not present in others. Examples of generational sin. Divorce. Teen pregnancy. Affairs, materialism, greed, obsession with power, uncontrollable anger, alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography addiction, involvement in the occult, chronic lying, and honestly, and so many other things. And, and here's the deal. If the cycle is not broken, that generational sin will repeat itself in, that, in your family line, and it will affect us and our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and generations past us long after we're gone. Which is why, in this series, we're looking at the historical account of one family line in the Bible across multiple generations. And today, we're going to look at Jacob and Esau, who are the grandchildren of Sarai, who we talked about last week. And so in their family feud that we're going to talk about this week, we're going to look at how generational sin gets passed down, but more importantly, how the cycle is broken. And so let's look at this family feud. Um, And if it's easier for you to follow along um, the verses by looking at the screens, so you don't have to keep flipping your paper back and forth. You certainly can do that, and you'll notice that we've already pre-filled in all of last week's part of the chart, so you can just focus on filling in this week's part of the chart if you'd like to, okay? So, in this family feud, um, 
Sarai, her son Isaac, who's not listed up here, has married a lady named Rebekah. And Rebekah and Isaac are expecting twin sons who are going to be named Jacob and Esau. So let's look at how this family feud begins between Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 25, beginning of verse 24, here's what the Bible says. When the time came for her, that's Rebecca again, who's married to Isaac, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So get this. Already at this stage of the game, we see how the generational sin of favoritism comes into play. Because Jacob was loved by his mom more and Esau was loved by his dad more. And so the generational sin of Sarai, who played favorites with her sons, gets passed down in their family. And so this generational sin of favoritism now goes to the grandkids. And you would think that Isaac, their dad, would have been especially focused on not playing favorites because he saw how detrimental it was in his family when he, because his mom, Sarai, played favorites. But it doesn't happen. Because the cycle of generational sin wasn't broken, Isaac continues and passes that sin down to his sons because they play favorites, okay? So, things continue to deteriorate because now, jealousy and resentment come into play. Now, to understand how this happens, you have to understand the Jewish custom of a birthright, okay? The custom of the birthright just simply is this, is that the oldest son in a, fam in a Jewish family was entitled to twice the inheritance of any other child simply because of the order of his birth. And so that meant in this situation that the inheritance would have been split three ways and Esau, the older son, would have gotten two-thirds and Jacob would have gotten one-third of the inheritance, which, by the way, makes Jacob jealous of his brother Esau. And so here is what happens as a result, here's what Jacob does. In Genesis 25, the Bible says this. Once when Jacob, that's the younger son, was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished, which is why he was called Edom. Edom just simply means red. <clears throat> Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright, which, by the way, if he does, then Jacob's entitled to get two-thirds of the inheritance and not Esau. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. So what good's a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And so now Esau has a deep-seated resentment towards his brother Jacob because his brother basically cheated him out of his birthright, which, by the way, is a continuation of 
the generational sin of jealousy and resentment that we saw last week because there was jealousy and resentment between Sarai and Hagar, and now there's jealousy and resentment between Jacob and Esau. See, are you, are you beginning to see how these generational sins get passed down, how this is progressing? So, it continues. <clears throat> because now, um, we get to the point in the, in, in the historical account where the dad, Isaac, is so old that he's nearly blind. And although Jacob now has the birthright, he's got the right to the double portion of the inheritance, the dad doesn't have to give it to him. He's, all it means is that if he does give it to him, that the older brother Esau can't challenge it in a court of law. So Jacob's still got to get his dad to give him the double blessing. Okay, So Jacob schemes with his mother to fool the dad into giving him the inheritance. And so here's what they do. The mom decides that she's going to bake some of the, uh, cook some of the dad's favorite wild game. It's going to dress Jacob in the older brother Esau's clothes. They're going to do this while Esau's out hunting. Going to dress him in Esau's clothes. And she's going to take some goat skin and put it on Jacob's hands because apparently Esau was like a really hairy dude, okay? Look, and by the way, if you're like goat hairy, <laughs> there's not enough wax to fix that, okay? I'm just telling you, all right? So here's what happens. And, because, and now at this stage of the game, this is when the generational sin of lies and deception get introduced in the family line. Here's how it goes. Here's how it plays out. In Genesis 27, verse 18, he, that's Jacob, went to his father, that's Isaac, and said, my father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac, that's his son. How'd you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. And when he does, he gives him the double inheritance of the family and the blessing. Well, you can imagine, man, when big brother Esau comes back from his hunting trip, expecting for his dad to bless him, all that kind of thing, and he finds out that his little brother lied and deceived his dad, I mean, Esau is furious. He is furious. And so this is when the generational sin of estrangement gets passed down again and becomes present in this part of the family line. Look how it repeats itself. In Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. So he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah, that's the mom, was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once 
to my brother Laban in Haran. And so, this is where we see how the generational sin of estrangement gets passed down. Because, look, just like Hagar and her son Ishmael were estranged from their family, now Jacob becomes estranged from his family because he's got to flee. Now, it, isn't it amazing how three of the four sins we talked about last week have now been passed down two generations to grandkids? I mean, are you beginning to see how all this comes into play? And it comes into play because the cycle of generational sin was never broken. So the question becomes, well, how do you break the cycle of generational sin? How, how, how does that happen? Well, let me give you five steps to breaking any cycle of generational sin. The, write these down. They're on the back of your message notes. Write these down. Here's the first step. Number one, I need to confess to God what it is and how it's affected my life. Whatever that generational sin, I need to confess it to God. And I need to confess to him, what, first off, name it, what it is. But I also need to confess how it's affected my life, how it's brought hurt and pain and resentment and heartache into my life and into my family. Because it's only when you do that that you understand how deeply that generational sin has affected you. And when you understand how deeply it's affected you and affected your family, then you understand how deeply you need God to do something about it. How deeply you need his freedom. So that's the first step. Second step is this. Number two, I need to ask forgiveness for my family and for how I have contributed to that generational sin. So after you confess it, you need to ask forgiveness. And you need to ask forgiveness on behalf of your whole family, okay? And I know that sounds a little weird, but the reason you need to do that is because it helps you understand that this thing is way bigger than just you. It's way bigger than you. And so when you understand that it's way bigger than you, that's when you understand that you can't deal with this apart from God's help. And so when you confess your whole family, this is what our family has done, God, it helps keep you humble and it helps keep you dependent on God's power to do the breaking of the sin because it's beyond you. And you also need to confess your part in it and ask him to forgive you for your part. Now, speaking of forgiveness, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you for all of your sins, if you've never truly become a Christ follower, look, I mean, you have to start there. You have to start by becoming a Christian yourself, by becoming a Christ follower yourself. So if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you because of his death on the cross, paying the price for your sins, start there. And there's a prayer, it's at the bottom of your message notes. You'll have a chance to pray that prayer when we get to the end of today, okay? So, step three to breaking the cycle is this. I need to ask Jesus to break the cycle of generational sin. Look, you gotta ask Jesus, by the power of what he did on the cross, to break that cycle of sin in your family line, starting with you. Because look, when Jesus died on the cross, his death wrecked sin, hell, you know, uh, and death. It, has a, it, it, it shows he's more powerful than all of that in your life, in my life, literally for all generations. And so the reason we have victory over death and hell and sin is because of his 
sacrifice of the cross. So that means that it's by his power, it's by his name, it's by his blood, it's by his presence in our lives that we can have victory over that sin and over that sin's damage in our lives and in our family's lives. Because look, generational sin cannot be broken by just more willpower. Generational sin cannot be broken by just more self-control. And the reason it can't be broken is because it's spiritually driven. And so you and I need Jesus to spiritually break that cycle in our family line. You can't break it apart from him. It can't be done because it's spiritual in nature. And so we need Jesus to spiritually break it and only he can because of what he did on the cross. I'm telling you. And so you need to ask him to do the breaking, all right? Which means we have to move, also move to number four. Number four is this. I need to make an aggressive and ruthless commitment to remain far away from that generational sin. And look, this is where I think most people mess up because most people think mistakenly that, well, I mean, once I pray for Jesus to break that generational sin, that somehow I'm magically immune to that sin. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You are still prone to that sin pattern because it's the sin pattern present in your family. But because the cycle is broken, it means that you no longer are a slave to that sin. You actually have the power to say no. But you're still susceptible. Which means that you have to make an aggressive and ruthless commitment to stay as far away from that generational sin as you possibly can. Look, for me, that's why I have made an aggressive and ruthless commitment to stay as far away as I can from anything that's addictive. Whether that's alcohol, or whether that's tobacco, or whether that's any kind of a drug, whether it's prescription or recreational, I, I, I stay as far away from all those things as I possibly can because I know that I am susceptible because I am prone to those sorts of addictive behaviors because of the generational sin cycle that's present on my side of the family. So I've made an aggressive and ruthless commitment just to not, ha- not let it be a part of my life at all. So for you, whatever that sin is for you and your family, you have to make an aggressive and ruthless commitment to just cut it out entirely. Look, that's why I don't ever try to drink in moderation because I can't do it in moderation. I can't do anything in moderation. I can't. So I just, I just don't get involved in it at all. So whatever commitment you need to make, you need to make. Because look, think about this. The devil is aggressive and ruthless in his desire to destroy you and your family and your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, as far down as he can go. And so if you don't make an equally aggressive and ruthless commitment to stay as far away from that, I'm telling you, you will re-enter that cycle, and it will continue, which is why you have to do this step. You have to. All right, number five. Here we go. I need to teach the next generation at age-appropriate times about my family and God's faithfulness. Look, when your kids or even your grandkids are old enough, uh, you need to tell them what's gone on in your family. And look, I can't tell you what age that is because, look, every child is different and every generational sin is different. And so you just have to pray and discern 
Like, when is the age-appropriate time? Look, my kids are just now 14 and 15, and we are just now starting to tell them the stuff that's going on in my side of the family. Now, a lot of it they already suspected. They just didn't know how far back it went. Okay, but now they do. But look, you can't teach your kids about breaking it, and you can't teach your grandkids about breaking it until you have broken it in you. Because only when you've broken it in you, then you can tell them what it takes to stay free. Because once you have broken it and you know the commitments it takes to stay free, then you can help them understand, hey, here's what you got to do in order to stay free. And you can have those open conversations. Look, don't let, don't let the embarrassment about what's in your past keep you from talking openly about it. Again, when it's age-appropriate. Because look, your pride is worth sacrificing so your kids can be free. Your pride is worth sacrificing so your grandkids and your great-grandkids can be free from the pain and the hurt that you had to experience at some point in your life. And look, while you're doing this, when you're talking about it, don't glorify the sin. Glorify God's faithfulness. Don't glorify... um, the trap that people have fallen into. Glorify God's power and his deliverance to keep you free and keep them free. So keep the focus on what it needs to be focused on, okay? So then the, then the question becomes, okay, it, that's all the generational sin part, but how does God show his love to you and your family? How did God show his love to Jacob and Esau and their family? Well, he showed his love in the exact same way that he did to previous generations, He showed his love to them by helping them understand that they are not disqualified. Because remember, God's faithfulness lasts for generations. And so he basically tells Jacob and Esau, hey, you're not disqualified from me using you. God had told them that he would make them into great nations, which, by the way, he did. And even though they hadn't broken the cycle, God still shows his faithfulness to them by using them. And telling them they are not disqualified. And you know what? You're not either. No matter what's going on in your past, no matter what's going on in your family, you're not disqualified from being used by God. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you are unusable because of what's in your past. That is just not true. In fact, my, my pastor growing up said it like this. He said, you know, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And he can And he does. And he can do it in your family just like he's done it in mine. Now, the second way that God shows his love to Jacob and Esau and to us is this. It's through promises fulfilled. Promises fulfilled. Part of God's promise to their family is that he would use their family to bless future generations in the world. And that's exactly what he's done. In fact, God has used them to bless us today because today God has used their historical account to make us more aware of generational sin and how it works and how we can break that cycle. And in the very same way, God can use your family to bless other people. And his, maybe, his, maybe God's promises to you to use your family to bless other people might be that God might use your family Gener- you know, generations from now or even starting now to bless who knows how many people in this world. Maybe God will use your family to be real kingdom builders 
in a local church and so that your family could affect who knows how many other families. Maybe God would call members of your family to go into the ministry and they would affect who knows how many generations moving forward. I'm telling you, God will show his love to you and your family by fulfilling his promises to you of what he's done and what he wants to do. Now, one last thought and we're through. I wonder who it is in your family line that because of their faithfulness to God, because of their commitment to follow him, because of their sacrifices that they've made in his name, that God has shown his love to you and has brought you to a point in your life where you're sitting in church today. I wonder who it is in your family that was faithful and loved God with all their heart and served him as best they possibly could, that God has shown his love to you by bringing you to a point in your life where you're sitting in church today, learning and growing and ready to take the next step to follow him. I wonder who that was. And more than that, I wonder who it will be on down your family line that maybe generations from now, you might not even know their name, but they might be struggling in life, searching, and because of your faithfulness to our Heavenly Father by making commitments today, that God might reach across generations and do something in their life to bring them back or to bring them to a place where they would choose to believe and follow, and God would do that extra thing because of your faithfulness to show your love to him and be committed to following him today with all of your heart. I wonder how many generations that would span. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing to think. But I'm telling you, God will, because he loves you and your family that much. So, bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us that spans generations. And I thank you for those in our past that have, were faithful to you that maybe we're enjoying the blessings of that. And I pray for every family today that's willing to deal with ruthlessly with generational sin, Lord, that you would help them to break it. And that today would be the first day of freedom for their family line. And that they would stay free. And that you would help all of us to continue to make those commitments that are ruthless, that are aggressive, so that we would never re-enter that cycle. And that stories of shame and Pain will become stories of victory and strength and triumph in your name. And so I ask that today will be the first day of freedom for multiple families that would last for generations and generations and generations as we seek to glorify you. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you break that cycle in our lives. And we ask you to continue to do it in us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. 
You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.